Hi there. My name is Ela Edgar. And I'm Charles Feldman. And we're here for... Trust on Purpose. Charles and I are continuing our conversations around enemies of trust. And we've covered a couple of our topics so far, those being care and competence. And we hope that you've had a good listen to those episodes. Today, we're going to dive into the topic of reliability and the enemies of trust that can show up, that can bump into how people perceive us to be reliable or less than reliable. And so as we go through our conversation today, we're going to give you some examples and unpack what this looks like. And Charles and I, of course, talked before the conversation before the recording and already have some examples of how this is showing up. So I think this is going to be a great conversation. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. And I think we should also add that we have recently been working with a client who has had asked us to come in and work with their entire company to help them bring on board and really embed in their culture what we call the cycle of commitment, which is a process and language, if you will, for making clear, complete requests, having responses that work that people can live by and making strong, clear commitments and then following up with accountability. So a big part of this building and maintaining trust in the domain of reliability has to do with using that cycle of commitment. So you'll hear us using terms that come with that. We're not going to talk about the cycle itself. That's another topic. But we will use some of the terminology out of the cycle. So let's start by saying that the first enemy of trust that we often bump into ourselves and with our clients and with our families and friends is saying yes to a request when you don't have all the information you need to actually say yes and know that you can complete whatever action is that the person is asking you to do. So if I say yes to something and the request was missing, let's say, a time frame, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to make up my own time frame, right? Now, I may make it up based on what I think the other person wants. For example, if it's my boss, I may assume that my boss wants it right away. Why else would they ask me? Of course, I'm supposed to drop everything and do it right away. Or I may think differently. I may think, okay, it's my boss. He usually can wait for stuff. But in either case, I'm going to act based on my idea of what's going on. And if it matches the other person's request in their head, what they want that they didn't share with me, all is fine and dandy. But in your life, in your world, Ella, how often does that happen? Slim to none. That's a slim to none, that those stars align and that the heavens open, the angels sing, and everything lines up perfectly. That's a slim to none. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. And it happens with our clients so often that People do say yes, because we want to say yes. Everybody wants to say yes. And it's easy to kind of, especially if you're not really thinking about it, it's very easy to go, okay, yeah, sure, I can do that. Without really going through, all right, here's the action I'm being asked to do. And here's the time frame that this person wants it in. And here is this person's what we call conditions of satisfaction. In other words, here's what that person is looking for in We'll tell them that it's complete, whatever it is that they're asking us to do, that we've done it to their satisfaction. 
if any of those pieces are missing, huh, and I say yes, I'm setting myself up for potential failure mm -hmm. in terms of actually keeping the commitment or keeping the promise that I just made that that person is, in their mind, going to hold me to. That's right. So I think this is a subsection of this particular enemy is the ability to accurately estimate the length of time that it's going to take somebody to do something. So I know this one bites me in the backside often. I receive a request. Absolutely, I can do that. That's no problem. I navigate it. I block out time in my schedule. And then I realize that it's actually going to take me a little bit longer or it's more complicated <laughs> than I originally perceived. Yes. Or suddenly, you know, there's some new resource that I need to read about before I can actually get this done. And so then it bumps into my reliability. And definitely there have been times on a Saturday morning sitting here with my cup of coffee. When, why am I working on a weekend? Oh, right. Because I have a deadline on Monday and I need to be accountable. I need to be reliable. But it was my underestimating or maybe a couple of other things that might show up, my procrastination or my squirreling that caused me to be in that position. But then I still want to be reliable. So then there's the working on the weekend. Yeah. There's the making sure that I get it across the finish line because I don't want to let somebody down. Yeah. Please tell me you know what that feels like. I do. <laughs> like that. I just <laughs> opened up my kimono. Yeah. I definitely have been in that place before too. I hear the words of a former client when I think about that a little bit. You would tell people, hey, I want to be really clear about this, that your inability or failure to plan is not my emergency. Yep. In other words, <laughs> don't put that in my lap because you failed to plan ahead and suddenly ran out of time. That's right. And this is compounded, of course, because many times a request in a workplace may require the performer to go out and actually make other requests of other people in order to perform what they just committed to doing or are thinking of committing to doing. So first of all, there's saying yes, without all the information can put you in a serious deficit because none of us are mind readers. We can't read the minds of our customers. <laughs> because we aren't able to do that, we really need to be able to ask. And this is actually one of the things that I work with clients a lot around is yeah, you can ask for that information. You can ask for what's your deadline. Right. You can ask for what should it look like? Paint me a picture of done, as you've quoted Brene Brown on several times. Paint me a picture of done so I really understand what it is that you're looking for. Is it a five, seven-page report with all sorts of detail and graphs and whatever? Or is it five bullet points on one page? That's right. Or something in between? Is it an email or is it a phone call? And hopefully the person making the request has put all this information in for you. If they haven't, you're in a position where you, in order to avoid damaging that person's trust in you and your reliability, you need to ask for that information. That's the only other way you're going to get it if they didn't give it to you up front. Certainly avoiding this particular enemy of trust is thinking through the elements of a clear and complete request. And I've just spoke about them. I did say I wasn't going to go into this in great detail, but I think at this point it's important to at least highlight it a little bit here. A complete request, clear and complete request, 
when it's made, should provide enough information for the intended performer to make that decision. Can I do this in the time and in the way that this customer is asking for so that I can make an accurate response, an honest response, that's responsible to match my capability of actually completing? So very minimum, I want to know who the requester is, and that's usually the person who's making the request. But how many times, Ela, have you been observing a meeting or even been in a meeting as a participant and somebody says, we need to do X? It's totally unclear who the actual requester is. Mm-hmm. We is really vague. So how can I go back and ask those questions if I don't get that information up front? How can I ask them? What's the time frame if it doesn't come with it? So who is the actual requester? Who's the intended performer? Is it me? Or are you asking me to go find somebody else to do it? Right. Do I have the capability to do it? And then, of course, there's the action. What action is being asked for? And then what we just said a moment ago is the conditions of satisfaction, which is how I want it to be done. What will satisfy me? In fact, even better, what will delight me? And then finally, what's my time frame? That's a difficult one for people. What's my time frame? We kind of tend to soft pedal that one. We don't put it in. And therefore, then the other party doesn't really know and has to make it up or ask us, which they often don't do. That's right. Those are the elements of a clear and complete request. So using that as a guide to getting information that's missing is certainly something that anybody can do to avoid Mm -hmm. this pitfall of saying yes to something when they don't really know for sure what they're saying yes to. Mm -hmm. There's a piece that I'd like to add And that I think when we make really clear and complete requests, it actually makes it so easy to provide feedback. I've asked you to do this. You've met all of these criteria. Here's why that matters. Please keep performing in this way. This is building trust in our relationship. I can really rely on you. Or here's what I've asked you to do. You've missed this one component. I need you to close that gap. How can you do that? Can you do it by this time frame? Yeah. I'm so fascinated by some of the science about helping people change behavior. And so what we see more and more often is this power of feedback and helping people know what they're doing well. This isn't about a pat on the back that, hey, you did your job. Good job there. Keep doing that. But specifically, here's what I asked. Here's why that matters. Here's what you've done. This is really yeah. helpful because of this. Or here's the piece that you missed. I need you to know that so that next time you won't miss it. I'm doing this in service of being supportive and because I care about your success. Or in our collective success. Yes. I made this request because I need whatever I asked you for. I can't do that myself. You are the person who can do it. So anyway, thank you. That's a really good element to this. It does allow that accountability conversation to happen or not just accountability, but positive feedback. Mm -hmm. So another one, saying yes to a request when you really should say no, or at the very least, make a counteroffer. Often people automatically say yes to requests in the workplace, especially if those requests come from their boss or some other senior leader. But even when it comes from a peer or someone else in the organization, 
where they want to be seen as a can-do person, or they want to be seen as someone helpful. I can do that. I'll do that. Yes, sure, of course. Without thinking through, even if the request has all the information, without thinking through, can I really do this? Do I have the capacity, time, resources, etc.? Mm-hmm. Is this going to work? Or am I going to end up failing to complete the request and have that person upset with me? Mm-hmm. There's a client that I was working with just last week, and it was actually heart-wrenching to see her. Runs a small team, a very, very driven organization. There's high expectations to produce. She's lost two people on her team. So one has moved to a different role, a promotion within the organization, and someone resigned. She has a massive deliverable. She's down two people on a small team. Wow. And the expectation from her leader, because she's always found a way to get it done, is you still need to get it done. Doesn't matter to me that you are down two full-time people on your team on top of your job. And it was really, because we talked about this, right? Is there something that you can go back and say to your leader about how do you help me reorganize, prioritize? How do we, maybe we dial down some of the conditions of satisfaction so that we're not striving for incredible excellence, but maybe there's a standard that's still high enough that allows me to complete this without depleting me or killing me, really. She's just exhausted. Yes. Right? And so I think it's really the onus on the leader to not just assume that because your direct reports, your colleagues, your peers always say yes, that that's the right answer or the best answer. So I think there's a listening in, I also know you've got other things on your plate. Let's talk about this. Let's pause here instead of you jumping to say yes, because I know you want to. I'd say that that's a two-way street for sure. Mm -hmm. That in making a clear and complete request of someone who you know the circumstances, you know their circumstances, being able to ask that, hey, do you really think you can do this? Is this going to work for you? Because it's really important that if you say yes to the conditions of satisfaction and the time frame, I'm going to count on that. I'm going to make other commitments to other people based on that. If you can't, I really need to know that now so I can adjust on my end. The other side of that, though, is that it's definitely incumbent on the intended performer when they get a request to think about it. And if they really don't think that they can do it, to make a counteroffer or even say no. Mm -hmm. Although often when it's the boss involved, it's hard to say no. Or a senior leader, it's hard to say no. Some people do it and some people do it quite successfully. Even if you can't do that, a counteroffer. Can we adjust the conditions of satisfaction? Mm-hmm. Can we adjust the time frame? Can you help me prioritize what's already on my plate? Can we bring in some extra help? Can we do something that will allow me to be able to be successful in meeting the request that you've asked of me so that I don't end up failing because I don't want to fail and I don't think you want me to fail. And so making a counteroffer and then negotiating around that. Is really the way to avoid this particular situation where you fail to deliver on the commitment. Yeah. Which leads us very well into the next one, which is believing that you can't say no. 
Yeah, that's an interesting one. I once did a little talk, just a you know, 45-minute talk about the cycle of commitment for a leader. He was the city manager of the city I lived in and hasn't been for some time, but he was at the time, and it was he and his direct reports and some other folks. I said something along the lines of, so if a request is made of you and you really don't think you can perform, you don't think you can get it done, it's okay to say no. If you can't say no, you can't make a really sincere, committed yes. And this particular leader, the city manager, said something like, you know what, if somebody says no to me, that's not acceptable. Okay, that's fine. And what do you think that's doing to your people? And there was a long and uncomfortable silence at that. And then he said, let's go on with this, with the little 40-minute talk I was giving. So I think this is one of those places where leaders, managers, bosses need to be careful, need to be helpful, need to be clear that if you can't, if you're performer can't say no or doesn't believe that they can say no, you really can't trust their yes, because they may be saying yes in conditions under which they will not actually be able to perform. Mm -hmm. It's surprising how often I hear this from people. We can't say no. That's just not an option here. This is a can-do culture. Saying no is tantamount to saying, I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. We do everything that needs to be done. And that leads to Burn out. <laughs> and especially now, this the particular time in history, people even approach burnout and right away they're going, ah, I think I can buy something better somewhere else. See ya. Mm -hmm. Earlier in my career, I had the opportunity to be part of a startup. And the culture, I mean, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. It was an amazing opportunity. It's probably one of the highlights of my career. The motto in this organization was, basically find a way to yes, which sounds really lovely on the surface. But the cost behind the scenes was we were saying yes to a whole bunch of things that hadn't been thought through. It wasn't a complete request, let alone, is this the direction we should be going? Is this something that we should be putting time, energy, effort, and resources to? Or do we need to pause? And how does this fit into the roadmap? With everything else, as you can imagine, with a startup, there's a hundred balls in the air all the time. And so, yeah, it was really lovely on the surface. <laughs> the cost underneath was unbelievable. Physically, mentally, emotionally. Yeah. And I see that a lot of times in organizations, especially startups, but not only startups. <laughs> it can show up in all kinds of organizations and all sizes of organizations. But I really like that point you made that Sometimes when someone would make a request of me or I make a request of someone else when I was working in an organization, and we didn't know this cycle of commitment thing, and we didn't know about clear and complete requests, but sometimes it was obvious that there was something missing. So going back and saying, hey, it would be helpful for me if you tell me what you're trying to accomplish in the long run with this. I can certainly go do this, but help me understand what it is you're really trying to do here that would produce a rethinking of something that would be really valuable. Same thing in the other direction, people coming back to me and saying, you know, have you really thought this through? Oh, uh, no, apparently I haven't. No, no. 
because I'm too busy running from one thing to the next. I'm also putting a little earmark here because one of the topics I'd like to cover in an upcoming episode is this whole concept of quiet quitting. Oh, yeah. It's the thing these days. Yeah. For another month or so, and then something else will take over. Yeah. (laughs) I think it would be interesting to look at it from a lens of trust and mistrust. Yeah. And, you know, I want to say, too, that in some organizations and in some situations, no really isn't a good answer. Finding a way to make it a yes. But really actually having both parties, both the customer making the request and the performer, sincerely taking a look at it and trying to figure out what will make it possible for the performer to do it and do it in a time frame and with the conditions that the uh, customer is asking for. And those conditions, often it's your boss. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a higher level person in the company. But yeah, sometimes it takes a little bit of thinking that through in order to make it happen. But the first thing that the performer needs to do is stop and think, can I actually do this? Do this. Because if I say yes, this person is going to expect me to do exactly what they've asked me to do. And going back to the first one, if they haven't given me all the information, they're still going to have it in their head and they're going to expect me to do that. But even if they have given me all the information and I say yes, they're going to expect that I do exactly that. The last one is also quite a juicy one. And I'm looking at this from a couple of different perspectives. Failing to let your customer know something has changed and you'll not be able to continue or complete your promise. Yeah, this is a big problem for companies because, well, you can imagine, right? (laughs) I'm expecting something. In fact, I was just talking to a client this morning who was saying, yeah, I had this problem where I was expecting this and expecting it and expecting it, and it didn't show up as the person committed to bring it. So I had to go chase him down find it. And it turned out that he had not yet done it, at which point then he needed to start it, which meant he was going to have to put off other things. And it was a problem. It caused more thrash in the system and more stress for everyone. Being able to go back and say, hey, I just found out that the person who normally does this stuff is out on maternity leave and there doesn't seem to be anybody else who knows how to do it. Or I just found out that the computers are down because they're doing a system reboot or something. And I'm not going to be able to get this done. I'm not going to be able to get this report out. I don't have the time to. The person that I was going to talk to that I committed to talking to is on vacation. So I can't talk to him. We'll have to wait till he gets back. I just wanted to let you know. And in some cases, I can come back and say, I can't do this. Here's why. Let's renegotiate our commitment. Let's find a way to get this done in a different way, in a different time frame that will work for everyone. Let's see what we can do to salvage it. In other situations, it's, okay, well, let's just let this one go and start over. But whatever it is, there's a kind of an equation almost that the closer you get to the actual due date before saying something, saying, I can't do this, it's not going to get done. The greater stress and strain on the trust in the relationship, especially if it happens often. And of course, anytime you go back after the due date and say, oh gosh, yes, sorry, didn't get that done, that can be a real trust breaker. 
I often say that the more noticed, like the moment you know that you're not going to be able to deliver is the moment that you let your customer or client know. Are they still going to be disappointed, potentially pissed off, frustrated? Absolutely. But there's a much higher probability that you'll repair the trust because you've been upfront and disclosed what the problem or the issue or the challenge might be versus, you know, texting five minutes before the deadline to say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to get that done for you. Yeah. And then the person is really pissed off and they're left scrambling. Yeah. Because they're left on the hook for something. That's right. They may not have the expertise. They may not have the time themselves. That's why they asked you in the first place. (laughs) So one of the things too is organizations have built-in ways of flagging something, you know, have a weekly team meeting. Okay, so let's go around the table. What's going on with your project? Is it still good? Is there some potential problem? Is it about to just blow up? Whatever it is, but they have particular status reporting that can be done. And that's great. That helps a whole lot. And I often will suggest that if a team doesn't have some agreed on way of reporting status of a project, especially longer projects, between the time it's started, when the person says yes, to the completion or conclusion point, to make something up, to find a way to do that in a consistent fashion. So I'm tying this back to feedback and supporting behavior change again, is that when someone reports to say that deadline is Friday, I can see that I'm not going to make it. It's whatever day it is today, Tuesday. So I want to be transparent. Here's either the help that I need, I need to renegotiate or whatever it is. So from a team and a leader perspective to say, thank you for sharing that. Together, we can figure this out. I'm so glad you brought that forward versus, oh, shit, how are we going to deal with this? Oh, my gosh. So reward the vulnerability of someone being transparent about where they truly are in the project or the task or whatever it is. Yeah. And how important it is to, it's okay that you say that, then we can figure it out together. But if you keep it hidden under the table or pretending that it's not reality, that's going to cause us a pretty big bump. Yeah. So rewarding the behavior by saying, thank you. Thank you for telling me. Now let's figure out what we can do. That's right. Let's move on creates an atmosphere in which I can come to you and tell you that. That's right. Jumping up on your chair and pulling your hair and like running around with your hair on fire. Oh my God, what are we going to do? This is terrible. It's not going to help the project. And it's going to make the person feel like absolute crap because they've let the team down. It is what it is. Yelling and screaming. What is it? Does freaking out ever solve a problem? No. Never. It doesn't. Yeah. Might feel good for a second, but. (laughs) Yeah. If the person feels like it's safe to come back and say, hey, I'm in trouble here. Yeah. That's an ideal situation for everybody. Yeah. I think back on a client I had some years ago. He was the CEO of a company and I was coaching him. And really quickly, I figured out that he spent a whole lot of his time running around asking people how they were doing with their commitments. How are you doing? How's it going? Is it still on track? Do you need any help? And it was a frustration for him because it was taking him away from some of the things that he knew he should be doing, 
wanted to be doing as a CEO of this company, including what he was really good at, which was talking to customers. But he thought that this was his job because he didn't understand the idea that he could make a clear and complete request in the first place and that if someone didn't think they could perform, they could say no or they could make a counteroffer and that then through a negotiation, they reached a point where they had a commitment that was then was incumbent on that person to kind of keep him updated as to how things were going. He should not be following them around. Mm-mm. I was kind of astonished at someone at his level. It wasn't a huge company. It was a manufacturing company, specialty manufacturing company, in fact. But I was still surprised that somebody at his level was doing this, all this following up, following up, following up. But since then, I've actually seen it in so many other places. So we kind of started with this idea of enemies of trust and reliability being saying yes when you don't have the right information, when you don't have all the information, or saying yes when you know you got all the information and you, <laughs> you know that you should not say yes, you should say no, or at least make a counteroffer to that so that you can negotiate something that will work. And there's often a belief that, yeah, we can't say no here because we're a can-do culture or whatever our belief is about that. And really then saying yes to everything and failing to report where we're going. There's a couple other pieces, though, in this, in terms of enemies of trust and reliability that I want to mention. One is that if I make a request of someone for them to do something that's not going to bring it back to me, but, you know, hey, will you go call so-and-so and tell them X, Y, Z? And you, of course, go off and do it, no problem. But until you tell me that you've done it, I don't know. So I'm kind of sitting here wondering if you've done it. Now, the relationship between you and I may be such that I just assume you've got it covered because you always do what you say you're going to do which doesn't account for maybe you being sick one day and not being able to even be in the office. But unless you come back to me and tell me you've completed reporting completion, you know, there's some attention cycles going around in the back of my head going, I wonder if she did it. I wonder if it's been done. I've got to call this guy's boss in a little while, and I sure hope that conversation has taken place. Mm -hmm. Another piece of trust building and trust maintenance here in terms of reliability is reporting completion. And then that also allows the customer to say, thank you. I appreciate what you did. I appreciate you doing so. Or like you said before, guess what? (laughs) You didn't actually complete this the way I wanted you to. This is a learning opportunity for you. And maybe for me too, because I wasn't clear in my original request. Yeah. So I want to add one other twist to this because we're talking about reliability. So It's also the accountability of the requester that if you no longer need that thing, that task, that project, that you actually let the performer know, I'm withdrawing or I need to renegotiate. I actually now don't need it until the end of last quarter versus next week or the parameters have changed. Let's have a refresh conversation or you know what? I lost the sale or the project's not going ahead. So we can just discontinue. Thank you for your commitment. You're good. You can strike it off your to-do list. Yes. And that's a fascinating, fascinating exercise to do with people. 
to have them write down all of the commitments they've asked of others and are they still required? Yes. Yeah. Or are there requests floating out there in the ether that you have not renegotiated, withdrawn, revoked, that people are potentially spending time, energy, and effort on that they don't need to? I just had that happen to me recently myself. I had a prospective client. We'd been in conversation about some work that they wanted me to write a proposal for. And it was a short turnaround proposal, or at least that's what the phone conversation seemed to indicate. So I was putting a couple other things on hold to do this because it seemed like some really fun and interesting business. And I you know, was madly working away. And then I sent it off to them, didn't hear anything. And I thought, oh God, am I getting ghosted again or what? After about a week and a half, I sent a follow-up. Hey, what's going on? Oh, sorry, we postponed this whole thing. So I didn't need that. Now my level of trust in that particular, I don't want to work with that client because my level of trust in their care for me, that they care about me enough to tell me that, went right down the toilet in that moment. Thanks a lot. <laughs> it would have been really nice to, at the very least, even if the decision had been made after I went to all the trouble of getting this thing in, in this short turnaround time frame, to get back to me and say, you know what, sorry, we just found out that our budget got put off until next quarter, which I think was the issue or something like that. But they just didn't say anything. And that was very annoying, <laughs> to say the least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is so important, right? Because it's not like any of us are sitting around with a whole bunch of time on our hands. We all have commitments and promises and relationships and things that we're doing. There's one tiny little piece I'd like to add, and this came from a conversation with an organization I'm working with, and particularly the sales department, and that they would sell a particular piece of work. Operations would then go execute. And of course, I mean, things go awry. And so, oh my gosh, how are we going to let the client know that we've got a delay, we've got a difference in cost, something has happened? And that there was this constriction and wanting to just hold it in and hope that the customer didn't know or that they wouldn't pay attention or whatever the scenario was. But I said, well, what if when you're in the contract negotiation and starting your conversations that you actually design, should something get delayed? Should there be a bump in our project? Should there be something? How would you like us to let you know? What would that look like for you that would help us maintain open conversation and dialogue and let you know transparently where things are? Rather than the train has come off the tracks and now people are floundering trying to figure out how do we do this in a way that we don't diminish trust? So again, I think there's so many things that we can actually talk about early in the conversation, early in the project, early in the team design that says, how do we do this or how do we want to do this? Should it happen? That allows for a much easier navigation. Yes, that's a great point. Having those conversations up front really helps. Helps make when something does go wrong and almost inevitably it will. Right. At some point, big or small, 
having had some conversation about how do we want to handle it is so helpful. Yeah. Well, thank you once again for a good conversation. Reliability is one of those areas, actually, that I find that the trust in the domain of reliability is very often, especially when I'm working with a team, one of the first things that we need to dive into, because that's one of the biggest trust issues they have is that people aren't getting stuff done on time or on budget or whatever those issues are. And it falls into the domain of reliability and building and maintaining that trust. These are some of the areas that we need to pay attention to in order to do that. So thank you. And as always, we'd love to hear from you about reliability and anything else related to trust, experiences you're having, situations that you would like some help with, some support with, some thoughts about. Please email either myself, charles at insightcoaching.com or ila at bigchangeinc.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. See you next time.